Good morning, and welcome to the Church of the Palms. My name is Brian Berman, and I serve as a member of the TV ministry crew. Morning, Mom. <laughs> this is the day that the world has made. Let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. Almighty God, you sent Jesus, our good shepherd, to gather us together. May we not wander from his flock, but follow wherever he leads us, listening for his voice and staying near him until we are safely in your fold, to live with you forever through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Will you please stand for the call to worship? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the land. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God, it is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Let us worship God. Jesus is looking for people who are all in. He said, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. We want to be people who do that, but we often fail. So let us keep short accounts with God, who waits for us with open arms and receives us with grace and mercy each time we come to him and sincerely confess and forsake our sins. Let us confess now together. Almighty God, in raising Jesus from the grave, you shattered the power of sin and death. We confess that we remain captive to doubt and fear, bound by the ways that lead to death. We overlook the poor and the hungry, and pass by those who mourn. We are deaf to the cries of the oppressed and indifferent to calls for peace. We despise the weak and abuse the earth you made. Forgive us, God of mercy. Help us to trust your power to change our lives and make us new, that we may know the joy of life abundant given in Jesus Christ the risen Lord. Amen. 
The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. I declare to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. May the God of mercy who forgives you all your sins strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep you in eternal life. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. Let us now boldly state what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now we invite you in the love of Christ to turn and greet your neighbors. Good morning. Welcome to this time of worship. We're glad that you're with us this morning as we gather up as the people of God to rejoice in what God has done for us. Today is a big day today. It's Confirmation Sunday, and you'll have a chance very shortly to see our new confirmands and uh, hear them as they give testimony to their faith and become members of our church. So. It's a delight that we can be together as the family of God for that very important event in these young people's lives. We uh, encourage you to fill out the friendship pads which are in the pew and pass those along to your neighbor and we encourage you to note those folks who are sitting near you and please give us whatever information that you would wish to have for us to have so that we can be in touch with you throughout the course of the weeks and months to come so you can be aware of all that's going on here at Church of the Palms. After our worship service today, you'll have a chance to meet our confirmands and they will be lined up right outside that door there, which is a perfect way for you to head as you go and greet them. You can continue on to the tables underneath the tree where you'll have a chance to uh, learn more about uh, particular ministries in our church and also to sign up for opportunities to serve as a part of our mission of equipping disciples for the service of Christ. Folks from Family Promise will be there in anticipation for our week of hosting families who are homeless here on our campus for the course of uh, the week, and that will begin on May the 8th, and you can learn more about that under the tree. Day of Hope 
is uh, not too far away. Uh, July the 23rd, we will be hosting over 250 homeless children here on our campus and helping them as they prepare uh, for school in, uh, within a month. So we encourage you to uh, come and learn about that. that. That table will be under the tree and we will also have our bloodmobile here next uh, Sunday and you may wanna sign up for that also under the tree. And Genevieve has an announcement she'd like to share with us today. Good morning. I love the promotional catchphrase used by the Sarasota Orchestra. Come as you are, leave different. This little saying definitely applies to Church of the Palms' final event of our concert series this afternoon at 3 p.m. with Dan Jordan and our very own Jonathan Spivey world-class talent right here in this beautiful church. $10. Yes, you will be moved to tears at times. Yes, you will be mesmerized by flying fingers and stunning virtuosity. Yes, you will admire a rare 17th century violin. And yes, wonderful music will be made in our beautiful sanctuary this afternoon. This church seats many. There are plenty of tickets left, and you can get yours under the tree or at the door today. Come as you are, leave different, says the orchestra. The most common phrase I've heard since beginning our concert series, and after all the glowing reports on each concert, has been this one. I didn't come. I wish I had. Don't be that person. Come this afternoon at 3. You will be glad you did. Thank you. Today we also want to acknowledge some uh, quiet servants in our midst, and these are the folks who every Tuesday and Thursday have been providing a very important ministry on behalf of our church, and that is our Back to Basics tutoring ministry that is led by Judy Armitage, a member of our staff, and you'll see in the little insert in your bulletin a list of 183, as I counted them, uh, people who are serving as tutors to students who come from, what is it, 34 different schools from across our county to be uh, schooled and tutored in various subjects to help them along the way. And we get to be the enfleshment of the love and grace of Christ as we come alongside of these students. So we want to take a moment for, uh, for you as if you serve in our tutoring ministry to stand so that we can acknowledge you and say thank you for what you've done. So the, I know you're humble, but please stand and uh, let us acknowledge you. Yes. Many of our seasonal folks also participate in this ministry, and we are just uh, grateful for uh, their uh, being with us during their time of recreation down here in Sarasota. On that list of 183 people, there are four people who have been tutoring with us for over 20 years. That's amazing. So I want to give a shout out to the following. Bay Baptist, who's up there in the balcony, and Dorothy Heritage. Did I see Dorothy this morning? Uh, stand up if you're here. And then Marianne Usher and Lynn White. Uh, all four of these people have served 20 years plus in our ministry of tutoring, so yay. We rejoice in all the opportunities the good Lord gives us to use our gifts.
I'd like now to invite our confirmands and their mentors to come forward and stand before the people of God. These fine young people are before you. They have begun, they began a process several months ago in which they were to learn about our life together as the church, our life together as Presbyterians, our life together as disciples of Jesus Christ. They have been a part of a great journey in which they have discovered a little bit more about their own faith, what it is that they believe, maybe what their parents believe, what the church believes, and it's this process and that they uh, find their own voice, they find their own faith to discover what it means for them to be followers of Jesus. And so they have come through that process and are now before us, and I now invite our mentors to uh, introduce them and to stole them. I'd like to present Kendall Legan and Nick Schwab. I'd like to present Jared Romine and Drew Lever. I present Julia Blum. I present Brooke Collins. I present Lauren Egan, Stephanie Barth. I present Connor McKeon, Xander Gardner, and Adam Rentz. As a completion of their process of confirmation, these confirmands have made their own stoles and they have uh, signified a little bit about who they are and about what they believe on these stoles and they are representations of what they bring to this very, very, mom very moment of faith and of declaration of their, their following Jesus Christ. So it is that we rejoice with you as you come before us and I'd like now to ask you these questions as you uh, confirm the baptism that you received in Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Do you trust in him? Do you intend to be his disciple, to obey his word, and to show his love? Will you be a faithful member of this congregation, giving of yourself in every way, and will you seek the fellowship of the church wherever you may be? I submit to you, as I did on Friday night, that those are the four most important questions you will ever be asked, and those answers that you have given just now are a way by which you have now directed your lives into the future. And we rejoice and give thanks to know that you are now with us, followers of Jesus, and that together we are the family of faith, and that we seek to do in all that we do in this world to represent Jesus Christ that others may know of this God who so loved us and so loves the world. So I now invite you to kneel as we lay our hands upon you and invite your families to come forward and those significant others that are here to uh, rejoice with them and to pray upon them as we give thanks for the good news. Let us pray. Gracious and eternal God, we give you thanks that you claimed us long before we were born. We rejoice, O Lord, that you found us in the waters of baptism and that we found you through the testimony of our parents and our families. We rejoice, O Lord, that you were with us every step of our journey and that you showered us with your love and that you showed forth your grace in so many ways. We are thankful, O oh Lord, for this moment of confirmation for these 11 who bring their lives before you upon whose heads and shoulders we rest our hands, knowing that the Holy Spirit is now upon them. And we ask, O oh Lord, that you will remind them that they are your children, 
They have always been your children and always will be. And pray, O oh Lord, that they may claim their identity in you and that they may find a way by which to express your love, your grace, your mercy through their own very particular gifts. We give you thanks, O oh Lord, for the gift of the church, for the great gift of the family of God of which we are a part. And we pray, O oh Lord, that these good young people will find a connection into the church every step of their journey, every phase of their life, every season of their life, and that they may know, O oh Lord, that within the church they can find the, the signs of your grace and your mercy. Lord, we pray that you will help them to be a witness to your goodness and truth, that you will help them to be a witness to your love and grace, and that you will help them to make a difference in the world by showing forth the great mercy that we know in Jesus Christ. We thank you for their parents and for their families and for their teachers and for their mentors and rejoice, O oh Lord, that you have used them to be channels of the Holy Spirit, to claim them and to remind them always that they are your children and always will be. So bless them, O oh Lord, and make them aware of the presence of your Holy Spirits in their midst. All this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. You may stand. Receive the greeting of your family and mentors and also the applause of our congregation. And once greeted, you may be seated. We actually have one more presentation we want to make. And dear Sherry Watts has been a leader of this ministry for many, many years, over 15 years. We lost count after 15, actually. And Sherry has been mentor, inspiration, teacher, leader, mentor, example in so many ways. And Sherry's handing the baton off after the completion of this confirmation class. And we just wanna give her some tokens of our appreciation, flowers and a little gift card. And uh, we also want you to take the opportunity to say thank you to Sherry. <laughs> and we couldn't let you go until we presented you with your very own stole. <laughs> the confirmation class wanted to make one that represented Sherry for them, so who she is as a child of God and who she is to us. But I just have to say one thing that Sherry has brought into every single thing that we've ever served together on, and that is this gift of encouragement. No matter what is going on, Sherry's like, it's gonna be okay, and God's got this, and we're in this together, and it is this joy if you ever get to serve and walk side by side with this woman, my friend. So, I present Sherry Watts, a lifelong servant of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Let us continue our worship through the presentation of our tithes and gifts and offerings.
Let us pray. We bring these gifts to you, O Lord, who claims us as children, who loves us, who celebrates our presence. We thank you for all of the gifts that you've given to us, and this is our way of saying, Lord, we thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. And now we're going to ask our boys and girls to come forward. And, and Lori. Maddie, I almost beat you. I was close. I had an upfront seat. Let me hand that one, please. That looks like it. And this. Welcome. Oh, my goodness. Good there they are. Good morning, friends. Good morning. Does your pastor like it when you sleep in church? Sweet. There's a family promise, girl. So, do you know that sometimes you wear clothes that sort of tell people what you do or kind of who you are? So, like, when I have this on, what do you think I do? Who do you think I am? Any ideas at all? I know it's an Indian, so you might not think that they play really good baseball, but you're going to help me out, Sam. Yeah, that I'd be a baseball player, right? That I can hit balls and that I can catch. How about if I wore one of these? Might be a little trickier. What do you think? You work in a hospital? In a hospital, absolutely. I borrowed this from a doctor friend of mine. So you know that I help people, that I might sew them up or I might cut them open or do those sorts of things. Whatever they do. What about this? Ah, oh, thank you. You're a cook? I am a cook. I am not a cook, but yes, that I would be a chef and that I would like love people by cooking for them. Well, you saw that the Confermans received this, right? It's called a stole. Who normally wears stoles, do you think? It's kind of a trick question. Maddie, do you think you got this one? All right, I'm coming over. Cooks? Oh, <laughs> that's mm, close, I think. What do you think? A pastor. A pastor often wears a stole. They don't have to wear a stole. Pastor Steve doesn't wear a stole, but sometimes Pastor Mingy does. I got to tell you something. These link way, way back to our history in the church. So what year is it today? It's not a trick question. 20s, I know sometimes I don't know. 2016, they started wearing these in church in the year five. That's how long they go. So someone who wears a stole is someone who basically works for God. And they promise to love and serve others in Jesus' name. So all these eighth graders right here, they just went through this process where they worshiped together, they learned together, they studied, they prayed. They had two lock-ins where they made great memories and didn't have a lot of sleep. But it was awesome. And you know what else they did? They started being the church because they started serving. They went out and they served home communion with our deacons to people who can't get out of their house anymore. They also served lunch at the 90s luncheon that was just yesterday. They have already started being the church. So I hope and pray that every single one of you, when you're in eighth grade, that you go through this confirmation process, that you learn what it is to be the church, to be a child of God, and to claim the faith as your own. And in the meantime, even if you don't have a glittery stole, you still get to go out and love and serve others in Jesus' name. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for calling each one of us by name. We ask, Lord, that we respond to your call, that we might serve and love others, always giving you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Our scripture lesson this morning is taken from Acts chapter 17, verses one through nine. Hear the word of God. After Paul and Silas had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, which was, which was where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, on the Sabbath. Three days Sabbath argued with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this is the Messiah, Jesus, whom I am proclaiming to you. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews became jealous and with help of some ruffians in the marketplaces, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And while they were searching for Paul and Silas to bring them out to the assembly, they attacked Jason's house. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some believers before the city authorities, shouting, these people who have been turning the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has entertained them as guests. They all are acting contrary to the decrees of the emperor, saying that there is another king named Jesus. And the people and the city officials were disturbed when they heard this. And after they had taken bail from Jason and the others, they let them go. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name, amen. I'm not sure what happened to the game Trivial Pursuit. It was the rage for a while, this game of trivia questions that tested the general knowledge of its participants. It's been a long time since I've been asked by anyone or have asked anyone to sit down and play a game of Trivial Pursuit. It's just as well, I was never very good at it. The people who were very good at it were the people that had a, the kind of brain that held on to the names and details of rather obscure historical events lost to the sands of time. I'm always amazed at folks that can retrieve this kind of information from their brains. The word trivia comes from the Latin tri, meaning three, and via, meaning road. Tri via, trivia means three roads and referred to intersections where three roads came together and it came to be a way to describe a public or common place, highly trafficked and where commonplace and ordinary things occur. Trivial things are common, ordinary, unnoticed things. And somewhere along the way, it came to be understood that common, ordinary, unnoticed things were somehow unimportant things. Trivial events are unimportant events. If they don't make the headlines well, then they must not be important. They must be trivial. I love that plaque that sits at the birthplace of Abraham Lincoln in Hodgenville, Kentucky, that captures in a, an imagined conversation between two Kentucky farmers back in 1809. The conversation goes this way. One farmer says, any news down to the village, Esri? Well, says the other farmer, Squire McLean's gone to Washington to see Madison swore in, and Spellman tells me that this Bonaparte fellow has captured most of Spain. What's the news out here, neighbor? Nothing, nothing at all, except for a new baby born to Tom Lincoln. Nothing ever happens around here. <laughs> Trivial is in the eyes of the beholder. The name Bob Easterbrook could be an answer to a trivia question. It would fall into the category of sports, and more specifically the category of baseball, but you would have to be close to a savant to be able to get that far to know that Bob Easterbrook would be associated with the game of baseball, because you'd have to know that Bob Easterbrook never made it to the major leagues, never made it to the big time. He got only as far as the minor league, and even there, he just bounced around from team to team for about 10 years, and then he was out of baseball. He never set the world on fire. So there would be no reason for you to know or remember the name 
name of Bob Easterbrook unless you realize that Bob Easterbrook happened to be on a minor league team called the Trenton Thunder from Trenton, New Jersey, the day when a young African-American received his first contract to play professional baseball and joined the team, one Willie Mays. The first African-American to join not only the Trenton Thunder, but the entire Class B interleague in minor leagues. Okay, so what? Bob Easterbrook was on Willie Mays' first minor league team, so were about two dozen other guys, so what? Well, the so what came the evening of Willie Mays' first day of professional baseball in Hagerstown, Maryland, when the team bus after the game drove to the other side of town and deposited this young player to stay alone in a hotel across the tracks because it was forbidden for an African-American to lodge in certain hotels in that town, including the hotel where the Trenton Thunder was staying in. So the so what came that evening when the young man, Willie Mays, laid awake alone in his hotel, far away not only from his team, but from his home, and a knock came to the window of his hotel room. The so what came in the knock of one, Bob Easterbrook. Bob Easterbrook, along with two others of the team, had snuck out of the hotel, made their way across town, and knocked on the window, and when Willie Mays opened the door, he heard Bob Easterbrook say, no member of the team stays alone. And Bob Easterbrook and his two companions slept on the floor the first night of Willie Mays' professional baseball career. The next day, the manager of the Thunder inserted Willie Mays for the first time into the outfield in place of Bob Easterbrook. Who was Bob Easterbrook? Just the man who snuck across town and slept on the floor of the hotel room of a young Willie Mays so that he wouldn't have to spend the night alone. Now I submit to you that is a trivia question that is not trivial. And I further submit to you that if somehow trivial has come to mean unimportant, well then there is no such thing as a trivial person. I wonder if that isn't a little bit of what is behind the story that we just read from the Bible. Stories about two headliners of the New Testament, Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas are the Simon and Garfunkel, the Batman and Robin, the Burton and Ernie, the Lewis and Clark of the New Testament. They are that team that bring the good news across a large part of the Roman Empire. And in the Acts of the Apostles, they have their very own biographer, Luke the physician, who immortalizes the lives of these two great apostles. And so the story goes that Paul and Silas make their way to Thessalonica, a Macedonian city later to become a Greek city, and there they start a ruckus. People are beginning to leave their long-held beliefs and are following after these strangers with their wacky claims of resurrection and salvation and forgiveness. And now the town is in an uproar, and in the midst of the chaos, somehow Paul and Silas slip out of sight and leave behind these new Thessalonian followers to sort of clean up after their mess. And in particular, they leave behind one Jason. Jason, who has been gracious enough to invite these rabble-rousers into his home. Jason, who is now courageous enough to stand up to the riotous mob. Jason, who is generous enough to stand up for his guests and make bail for them. Jason, Luke mentions him in this little story three times. Now, can I be honest with you? I have read and studied the Bible for a long time, and I cannot remember if I've ever noticed the name Jason in the Bible. If the trivia question had been for me, who is Jason in the Bible, I would be as clueless as if you had asked me not long ago about Bob Easterbrook. And the question would have felt trivial and it would have felt unimportant, but for Luke, Jason is important. Jason is a part of the story. He's not performed any miracles. He's not preached any eloquent sermons. He's not stood up. He has not written some foundational documents of the Christian faith. He has just stood up for some new friends. He's invited them into his home, and he has vouched for them when the going gets tough. 
You see, there is no such thing as a trivial person. The New Testament, of course, has its headliners, but the Bible is filled with all sorts of mentions of all sorts of names, and for most of them, that's all you hear about them is their names, and for many of them, you don't even hear their names. But behind each of them is a story. There is no such thing as a trivial person. Every single person has a part to play in this drama called life. And that can be a hard thing for us to remember sometimes. It can be a hard thing to remember that when you and I are going about our days in the to and fro of life, in the, in the fast runaround of life, in the transa transactional nature of life, it can be really difficult to remember that the person right in front of you or the person right alongside of you or behind you is not trivial, is not unimportant. We have a role to play. When I go to get my tires changed on my car, through the window I can watch the man take my tires off and put on new ones, and as I'm watching, I'm thinking of how much I trust this man, this man I've never met. I trust that he knows how to change a tire, and I trust that he not only knows how to change a tire, but that he cares enough about his job to do the job right, to not forget this lug nut or that lug nut, because in a moment, I'll be driving that car down the highway 70 miles per hour, and my life is riding on this man whose name I do not know. I can remember the names of all my teachers with the exception of my kindergarten teacher. I can't remember her name. Shame on me. I don't have my parents around to remind me who, they, who her name was. But what I can remember are the mornings when I was five years old and I could not wait to go to school. I loved kindergarten. It was probably the only level of education I was able to understand. But I know enough about that classroom to know that it was safe and it was warm and it was fun and maybe I learned along the way some letters and numbers but I don't remember her name. But I know enough to know that because I was five years old she was having this enormous impact on my personality and on my worth and on my identity. When I'm at the restaurant and the waitress comes up to me and tells me her name, hi, she says, my name is Samantha. And behind Samantha, there is the story of what is happening in her life. And who knows what it is? Maybe she just broke up with her boyfriend. Maybe she's three days into being sober. Maybe she's harboring a dream to be a doctor. But before me, in this young woman who's just told me her name is Samantha, is this mysterious and wonderful human being, and she's not trivial. The tire man is not trivial. The kindergarten teacher is not trivial. Jason is not trivial. We are so desperate to be treated and respected and honored and protected by each other because the world can sometimes be not so nice. Who we are, what we say, how we act, what we think matters. If there's anything our young confirmands have attested to today in confirming their baptisms, is that when we attest to God as Father and Creator and Jesus as Son and Savior and Holy Spirit as sustaining power for our lives, that has, by virtue of what we've done, elevated the price tag on our lives. Each of us carries an intrinsic value, which is to say that we have come from this great God who creates everything good and that there is nothing trivial about us. Everything matters. We affect the world. We affect the Jasons and the Samanthas and the tire guys. It's what it means to be alive, to make a difference one way or another in other people's lives. Carl Rowan, some of you have heard me told this, tell this story. 
Carl Rowan, the prize-winning columnist of a couple decades ago, spoke often of the influence in his life of a woman named Bessie Gwynn. Bessie Gwynn was a school teacher that Rowan had while growing up in McMinnsville, Tennessee. She was a teacher at a Jim Crow High School there in McMinnsville, and young Carl Rowan was her student. She taught Carl Shakespeare and Chaucer and Milton and the scriptures. She taught Carl about similes and metaphors and good grammar. And after graduating from high school and college, Carl went on to become an accomplished journalist, nominated one year for the Pulitzer Prize. When Bessie, his teacher, turned 85, she was to be honored at a testimonial dinner by a group of her students and teachers, and Carl was invited to come and say a few words. As fate would have it, he had been invited also for the same night to attend a White House state dinner hosted by then President Jimmy Carter. How often in a lifetime do you get invited to a state dinner by a president? Rowan sat down and wrote this letter in response to the president's invitation. Dear Mr. President, I received your letter three days after I had agreed to speak a few words at a dinner honoring the wonderful high school teacher who taught me to write. I know you will not miss me at your dinner, but she might at hers. Sincerely yours, Carl Rowan. President Carter wrote back, Dear Mr. Rowan, presidents come and go, but a good teacher lasts a lifetime. And so my confirmand friends, this journey you begin today as followers of Jesus will lead you to discover more and more things about God than you know right now more and more things about the Bible than you know right now, more and more about the world than you know right now. But there is something I hope you know right now that you will never lose sight of, and that is you are not trivial. And anyone who comes your way is not trivial. We need each other. The Jasons, the Samanthas, the Tire Guys, the Bessie Gwynns, the Bob Easterbrooks, the Willie Mazes. And God is pleased when we see ourselves and we see others as he sees us. Or as George Eliot said it, for the growing good of the world is partly dependent on unhistoric acts and that things are not so ill with you and me as they might have been is half owing to the number who lived faithfully a hidden life and rest in unvisited tombs.
Again, we invite you to make your way out toward the middle of the courtyard there where you'll have the chance to meet our new confirmands. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.